better start turning. Oh, another good bounce. It's going to get better and better. Look at that. How the kicks to the left that he has received on the three sh full shots he's hit in this playoff. He has been perfect from that range this week. Eight years since his last win, and eight years was more than enough for Grillo. The two says it all. Eight years for Emiliano Grillo, four long months for FHP, but both droughts were gone on Sunday. Ian, we are back in victory lane for the golf side of things. And Miliano Grillo brings it home for us at 125 to 1. And as uh, props by All-Star All -Star Game Eric brought up on Twitter for the pod, 100th, 100th episode brings the 125 to 1 winner. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ian, how are you feeling after Sunday? It's, it's actually more poetic than that. I, I mistyped my victory uh, speech on Twitter. I, I guess we hadn't done it in so long that I completely... Uh misread the number but it was a hundred to one winner we put 1.25 units on it so it's oh, still netted yeah. out the same uh but it's actually more poetic considering it was a hundred episode last week cast them 100 to one winner um i like that i like that little jim nance uh except you had there i uh i could, <laughs> I could tell you've been working on that one but um yeah i mean first and foremost i i just want to give a big shout out to colonial uh last week i mean i thought that setup was absolutely phenomenal i mean in a day and age where Golf ball rollback and bifurcation have been kind of the top of uh, mind at a lot of press conferences, a lot of discussions around the game. Um, that setup last week showed exactly how, you know, you can set up a course to combat the modern player. Um, obviously, you know, we didn't have the same strength of field as we get in some of these elevated events. But, um, I mean, just appreciate the fact that, you know, we got a – it was a 7,200-yard 7, golf course last week designed in 1936. Um with not a ton of wind and, you know, players had more wedges and short irons and long irons in those greens. And it ended up being the exact same winning score as we got at Oak Hill uh, at the PGA Championship just a week ago. So, I mean, firm fairway. The fairways were super firm. The rough was not long, but it was tricky enough to catch flyers. And guys had a bit of a decision come out of the rough as far as distance control. And then obviously the greens were super baked out. A lot of that due with the fact that they're, they got the renovation kind of coming on the way. So they decided to kind of, um, to let that let it play out, not really water the greens and uh, just let them bake out. But it was it was it was phenomenal. It, I mean, it really al allowed the players to, or made the players think their way around the golf course. It was really penalizing to players that were negligent uh, with their shot selection. Uh, but it was still it was still fair. Like it still rewarded like quality golf shots, um, which is a really fine line, I think. To 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 walk we've seen it in the past with places like bay hill where they've maybe went a step too far uh and gotten some backlash from players but to my knowledge i didn't really hear any kind of complaints with the course setup this week and as far as um from a viewing perspective it was one of the more engaging tournaments that i've um i've gotten the pleasure to watch so far on the pg tour this year so that was that was really really sick um betting aside obviously uh, i'm i'm super excited to see what gil hans and his team have uh, in store for the 2024 renovation. And I'd love to see the, the Charles Schwab get its due um, in an elevated event um, next year. That was just full march to Colonial on that setup. That was phenomenal. It's everything as a golf fan that I want to see. 
Um, and I'm sure Chris can kind of relate on the NASCAR side of things. There's some races where you walk away and you're just like, yeah, that's that's why I tune in. I want to see the best players in the world be tested in, in new and creative ways. So I thought Clono did a phenomenal job there. I only, I only expect Gil Hans to, um, to improve on that product next year. I have a lot of respect for him uh, and the work that he's done around places like Southern Hills, around Brookline. Uh, I think he did a bit of work around LACC as well that we'll see in a couple of weeks. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's enough on my, uh, my architecture, uh, boner that we'll move on to, we'll move on to Grio and I don't, I honestly, I'm not even sure how we pulled it off, buddy. I mean, we, uh, can you, I mean, can you, for anybody who might not have seen what happened, can you lay out what happened? Because when I was, what I was seeing on my TV, I was like, this is just unfreaking believable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, someone who knows exactly how much Chris had on that. Uh, I, I was trying to keep it pretty silent in the group chat. I, honestly, it, it's been it's been so bad for us over the last few months that I was kind of like laughing at that point. Like you just it just kind of takes over. Like just you see the humor in it. I was like, of course. Like we have a guy who's been running pure all day long. He's made all the clutch putts he's needed to. He's gotten himself a two shot lead on the 18th hole on Sunday. And then he hits his worst drive of the week by far, blows it into an aquifer. I thought, honestly, when when they first panned to it, I was like, oh, that's on the cart path. It's standing water. He's going to get free relief. And I realized, no, he he hit it so far right. He's actually in like a like a sewer system almost. <laughs> it's going to roll all the way back to God knows where. So, you know, what's funny is whenever it whenever it for, he first hit it, like the the cover TV coverage didn't show exactly where it was at first. They like broke to a. a commercial or, or to harry hall or something like that right yeah, yeah. and i was trying to tune into it on my pj tour app i was like trying to just like zoom in like where'd this thing go and it was just in this like blue like abyss on the side yeah. of the car path and i was like what even is this and then they the coverage comes back on as it's rolling down the sidewalk in this fucking stream and i was like oh my god oh uh, yeah uh yeah Torcast is not prepared for work real hit it on 18 that's for sure i actually uh read a stat afterwards that said there were only on 18 all week long, there were two balls in the water or that were uh, that accounted for penalty shoots strokes over the course of the week, four rounds, 125, 130 golfers, um, obviously Grio that we just talked about. And then Harry Hall in the final group. So legit, it was like 18 was hazardless for, you know, 70 or 99% of that golf tournament until the final few years came through. That was just, that was just wild. Um, I, I honestly, like when it was going on, I was like, all right, well, this is probably over. <laughs> so at least we'll have a funny story about it. So it's kind of cool that we got the best of both worlds kind of having that. Um, it's not it's not often you have something like that happen and you still are able to kind of pull the victory out. So we're lucky that Greer was able to make some putts down the stretch. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, felt a lot more, the- I felt a lot more confident as soon as he uh... – he gets off the gets off the green, goes inside his tour card, and then he gets invites some kids to tee off with him. And I was like, "Oh, this is great karma right here! Like, we can't lose now." Right, and he, he actually alluded that in the press conference. He said like he needed to take his mind off what just happened, and so he just kind of he 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 was actually like he was thankful to them that like they were there and he was able to interact with somebody that was not his caddy <laughs> because like I think they I mean his caddy probably wanted to kill him for taking driver off the tee, and he just was, you know, you just I mean that's super remarkable that he was able to step up to the same hole and make par uh directly after that with a with maybe a favorable kick on the uh, out of the right rough as well but um but yeah just <laughs> all in all if you look back like to the stats it really wasn't even like Greer's best week for like from t to green like all the things i cited heading into the week with the run of form he was in prior to the pga championship uh he played worse from t to green 
than any of those three starts. The Heritage of the Mexico Open and at Quail Hollow, he gained more shots from TD Green in each of those three starts, but Grew had a second-best putting week of his life, or at least of his PHL career at Colonial, and he made he made some real clutch putts down the stretch, which, <laughs> given me and Chris's putt luck for the last few months, um, I really did not expect Milan and Grillo to be the one to break that slump. Um, but, yeah, maybe there's something to Colonial. He gained 7.4 shots uh, on the greens this week. Notably, his best putting week of his career also came to Colonial. Uh, in 2018, he gained 10.7 shots in a third-place finish. So something about this green, these greens, I alluded to him last week, um, how Grillo seemed to be a, a bit more comfortable, um, at least on these services. And uh, yeah, that, that definitely paid out. So um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy ride. I, I really enjoyed just the, the golf in general. Um, and, you know, Grillo just, he made the putts when he needed to. I mean, we will talk about the, the blunder on 16, but you know, the fact that he was able to make a clutch six foot of a par on 15, the birdie putt down the hill on 16, and then the clutch eight, seven, eight footer on 17 gave him the buffer to make that mistake and still, um, you know, have life in the tournament. So, that's um, yeah. That's all I got to say. I guess that's all I got to say about about Grio. Uh, I do want to kind of touch on Scotty Scheffler real quick. Uh, I think this has been kind of worn out by a lot of the talking heads, or at least golf's most prominent talking heads already. But Jesus Christ, this dude is playing out of his fucking mind right now. Um, so Scotty, I talked about Grio's maybe underperformance in the Tita Green category. Scotty lapped the field from Tita Green this week. He beat uh, second place and third place, which I think actually they tied. I think it was Burns and Rose that tied on from T to Green for second. Scotty beat both of them by five and a half shots uh, from T to Green, lost 4.7 putting, and came up one shot short of the playoff. Um, I We kind of all said it last week, like if he gains two or three shots putting, like this could be another um, just absolute route, and it very nearly was Sawgrass V2. I mean, I, I – I can't remember a ball striking run like this sick um, since the start of 2023. He has gained uh, over a shot per round more from TD green than second place, which is Tyrrell Hatton. And he's gained a shot or 0.8 of a shot per round more than second place in ball striking from Patrick Cantley, uh, which correlates to what 3.2 shots ball striking per tournament better than Cantley and four shots better from TD green than second place Tyrrell Hatton. The fact that he's only won twice, in 2023 is just mind boggling to me. Um, and, you know, I'm not exactly breaking news here that, that Scheffler's do, but I it's, can't imagine a world where he doesn't win something very big, very soon. Yeah. And I, I actually would like to follow this up with a quote that I read today uh, on the golf digest. Um, but it literally says there are three instances of a golfer gained 15 plus strokes from TD green this season per the Rick run golf database. Scheffler owns all three. He now possesses five of the best eleven t or five of the best eleven t degree weeks of any golfer at any event this season, with no golfer appearing on the list more than once. He is literally a machine with no sign of slowing down anytime soon. That's a little quote from the Golf Digest. It's it's wild, man. It's wild. I mean, it, just the, I mean, it, and it shows in the results. Like he hasn't finished worse than I think eleventh or twelfth all season long, <laughs> and he's you know he has. He has the one like 13th at Har- or 12th or 13th at Harbor Town. And then outside of that, it's like third, second, second, first, fourth, sixth. Like it's every single week he's there. Um, and when you look at the way he's putting, like it's not like he's putting, like it's not like he's missing these putts by like a million miles. Like it feels like he's getting damn close on every single shot. So I don't know, man. It, it, <laughs> it feels like something is 
it feels like we're going to have Sawgrass like 2.0 very soon if this keeps up. So um, that's been super impressive. I, I honestly can't believe like <laughs> he didn't win Colonial. Uh, but yeah, we, we benefit from a little bit of the Scotty uh, bad punting, whereas we might have might have cost some money uh, early in the year. So kind of what goes around comes around. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that because like you said, and I think it's been pretty well reported on golf Twitter. It's um, it's scary stuff. I mean, I, I really can't rem- remember a time in golf where like a guy has been clearly the best driver of the ball and the best iron player in the world. Like he is, he's kind of both. like, I think he's number one in total driving and number one in stroke and approach um, on the PGA tour right now, which is uh, kind of wild. Yeah, it makes the game a lot easier when you're just putting for birdie from 15 feet all uh, week long. So uh, he's in the field this week. We'll see. Um, we'll see how things progress as the week goes on with maybe some of the odds. Um, but yeah, any field he's in, I think he should be the favorite from, uh, from now on. So obviously we've, talked a lot about this next guy I want to talk about, but um, I feel like we should at least touch a little bit on another guy that we had pretty much in the mix until Sunday, but Victor Hovland. Um, another good day until the last day. I mean, she's plus three on, on the last day, but if that's, you know, if you flip that to a minus three, he very much wins this tournament. So uh, I guess, are you still feeling very uh, convinced that Victor is like very near a win or is there anything this week that showed you anything differently? No, I mean, he, he finished what 13th and he lost strokes on approach. He yeah, was tied 16th. Yeah. He was negative with his irons this week. Um, I think he led the field in driving and he gained like three or four shots putting. He gained around the greens as well. It's, it's all coming together for Victor. Um, he actually had two misses on Sunday. Cause I, I was tracking this whole round. He had two misses inside six feet uh, for birdie over the course of Sunday that would, that would have really, really made things interesting. I think he was sitting around like five or six under before he made a couple of bogeys on the back nine and he dunked a water ball on 16. I think that really like officially tanked his chances. Uh, or actually maybe that was, yeah, that was 14 actually. That wasn't 16. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just hard to find flaws in Victor's game right now. We go to a place like Mirfield village and, um, the only thing really holding me back at this point is the fact that he's played a lot of really meaningful golf over the last couple of weeks. Um, so I don't really know how that's going to affect him at, at, you know, this golf course and in a field like this. But um, if you just look at the numbers, man, I mean, the driver is elite as it always has been uh, the iron play. I mean, he just gained 10.1 shots on approach at the uh, PGA championship two weeks ago. Like he's very capable of leading the field and approach. The short game seems to be, I mean, not above, I mean, not like elite by any means, but he's not hemorrhaging strokes around the greens like he used to. And uh, the putter's taking a huge step forward. Like, of all the elite names, um, like, if if you give me, you just, like, list the top 10 guys in the world right now, there aren't many guys I would trust over 10-foot putt more than I trust Victor Hoppin. I know he had his two short misses on Sunday, but he, he saved a lot of shots um, kind of early in the week, making 10, 15, 20-footers. So, um, it feels like, yeah, the aim points um, – kind of method that he alluded to and he really put into practice at the end of last year really paid off. Um, and he's a super dangerous name. So he's, uh, he's at a pretty gross place in the odds board, at least the odds board that we have um, at this point that we'll get to maybe a little bit later. Um, but I can't fault anybody for just continuing to kind of ride this train and seeing where it takes you. Because if you want to talk about do like Victor, Victor feels like, you know, we talked about the major championship tracker last year, but he's putting together just solid performances every single week. And you continue to put yourself in contention in the final three groups on Sunday. 
um, eventually you're gonna play you're gonna play well enough to to take one home. So uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of guys that are playing a lot of good golf, which which obviously bodes really well for uh, this week, one of my favorite tournaments, and then you know U.S. Open in, in two weeks, and then um, you know the Red the Open Championship after that. So. Right in the meat of the right in the meat of the PG Tour season, when it's like October and the sun's going down at four o'clock, this is what I'm daydreaming about: is you know, golf in May, um, some of the biggest tournaments that we have to play for. So, um, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It starts with a really fun one, I think, this week. Yeah, and that's a good time to transition forward here as we head to Ohio for coming off of Memorial Day weekend. Now we're going to the Memorial Tournament, uh, the tournament founded by Jack Nicholas himself. So. Uh, yeah, Ian, what is there to say about Mirfield Village? I know this is a, a, a favorite course of yours. Yeah. Um, and it's another elevated event, two weeks off of the PGA Championships. And, uh, and yeah, two weeks removed from the PGA Championships and two weeks away from the U.S. Open. So elevated event squeezed right in between. This is this should be fun. Yeah, they come they come thick and fast. But, um, you know, elevated events have kind of lost a little bit of luster for, for a lot of people in the golf world. For me, uh, this is not one of them. This is one that I look forward to at the start of the year. Um, Mirapur Village is one that I circle for kind of the anime start of June, uh, right after more of the weekend, like Chris said, but, um, yeah, I mean, outside of the majors and maybe like Sawgrass and Riviera, I think this is probably for me, my, on my Mount Rushmore in terms of like just PJ tour events that we go to every year, not necessarily majors or anything like that. Um, uh, but this is a special place, obviously, like Chris said, Mirapur Village, Dublin, Ohio, uh, also known as Jack's place. It is his crown jewel it's his uh his baby he's got a pretty extensive arcade um kind of designing background designing track record uh with golf courses all around the world but this is the place where he he resides at here in dublin ohio his hometown and uh, it was actually designed to be kind of his version of uh, of august national he's taken a lot of um a lot of inspiration from alistair mckenzie and from that uh, property onto this place a lot of the holes uh, or some of the holes, at least, will remind you of Augusta National, particularly the, the part, the first part three we reached on the back is pretty reminiscent of, of 12 at Augusta Golden Bell uh, with a kind of skinny green bunker at the front, water uh, short, and uh, obviously Jack's plays a little bit longer than, than the Golden Bell, but you'll see some of those kind of um, those markers as we go along. But it is a 7,543-yard par 72 uh, bent grass wall-to-wall uh, as far as the agronomy if you look some of, at back at some of the past champions here, the defending champion here is Billy Horschel. Uh, he won last year in 2022 at 13 under par over Aaron Rot over Aaron Wise. Uh, in 2021, Patrick Cantley beat Colin Morikawa in a playoff at minus 13. That was also notably the year uh, John Rahm was forced to withdraw with COVID, uh, holding a six-shot lead going into Sunday uh, with eight. Nice about that. Yep. So, so maybe a bit of an ashes next to the Cantley win there, uh, but he is the official champion in 2021. In 2020, we had two events. Um, here at Mirfield Village, the first was, or the second of which was the Memorial Tournament won by John Rahm over Ryan Palmer. Uh, but the week before we had the Workday Charity Open, we did a doubleheader at Mirfield Village. Uh, and the week before the Memorial, Colin Morikawa beat Justin Thomas in a playoff um, to win that tournament at Mirfield Village. Uh, 2019, Patrick Cantley again won at minus 19 at Adam Scott's. 2018, at Bryson DeChambeau uh, won at eight. Went in a playoff at 15 under over Benny On and Kyle Stanley. 2017, Jason Duffner at minus 13. 2016, Will McGirt. 2015, David Lemarth. 2014, Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, so, common threads. I mean, I would say maybe even before last year, um, although I guess Billy was like the 17th ranked player in the world when he won. Um, but we've 
predominantly seeing either a top shelf kind of talent, your Roms, your Cantleys, your Brysons, Hideki's, Collins, etc., or a premier ball striker with a history of maybe some putting struggles. We've seen Duffner play really well here. Ben Ahn has played well here. Kyle Stanley, Adam Scott, obviously Colin Hideki again, uh, fit both categories. Um, but yeah, it's been largely kind of a flushers only venue, uh, which makes a lot of sense considering that Muirfield Village is one of the most comprehensive uh, tee to green tests we're going to see uh, all year. When you start with the tee shot here, um, fairways. Now the fairways here aren't exactly as narrow as you would typically see at a championship golf course, like a Oak Hill or a wing foot or like a Bay Hill, et cetera. Um, the driving accuracy percentage here historically is uh, hovers right around 70%. Uh, for reference, Colonial was barely over 55%. Um, so the fairways are wide. There is room to miss. Uh, but the problem with Mirafield Village is that if you do miss the fairways, if you do miss waywardly, um, you're punished about as severely as you will be at any other course on tour. Uh, Mirafield Village carries the highest miss barrier percentage and the highest rough penalty uh, on tour. Um, not only is the four-inch uh, rough here extremely penal, but Mirafield Village also features the eighth highest penalty risk on tour at 5.8%, uh, meaning that 6% of missed fairways or nearly 6% of missed fairways result in a penalty stroke here. Um, now it's not as waterlogged as like a TBC Twin Cities or a PJ National that kind of populate the top of that list, uh, but you do have uh, a lot of densely wooded areas off the fairways. You have 12 water danger holes, and you do have uh, some strategically placed fences uh, that penalize wayward tee shots. That's a bit of a joke in the last one. You can ask Bryson DeChambeau uh, about that, who famously got caught behind a fence in 2020, I believe. Um, so with that being said, building, when building a profile for success here, I'm far more concerned with stats like fairway percentage and good drive percentage, uh, than kind of the distance stats that we were using, uh, to predict the Oak Hill leaderboard a few weeks ago. Um, in 2021, the entire top 10 and 14 of the top 15 were above average and good drive percentage. Only five of the top 10, uh, were above average in driving distance. Um, in 2022, last year, 18 of the top 25 gained on the field in good job percentage. And we saw names like Billy Horschel, Daniel Berger, Jenny McCarthy, Corey Connor, Siwoo Kim, all inside the top 15, um, who aren't exactly known as distance mavens. So priority one with the tee shot, uh, is to keep the ball between the rough lines, stay out, uh, of a lot of the trouble because it really doesn't matter. I don't think of this golf course, unlike Oak Hill, where I felt like advancing the ball as far as possible, uh, was the most advantageous strategy. Here, I don't even mind if you lay back a little bit. Some of like the bombers, like a Rory or a Cam Young, that you know uh, typically utilize distance, but uh, st- spray the ball maybe a bit more than some of their contemporaries. Um, I would honestly not be too upset if they adopt a more conservative strategy off the tee and made sure that they stayed out of the trouble um, off the fairway here. Moving on to the approach shot, uh, and Nicholas is pretty renowned for his emphasis on the second shot and his designs. A lot of Nicholas courses are second shot golf courses. Mirfield Village, no exception. Uh, winners on average here have gained 5.7 shots on approach for the week, and every player since the 2020 renovation, so in three iterations of the Memorial since 2020, um, every player inside the top 15 has gained strokes on approach. So we have had no negative iron players inside the top 15 in the last three years. Um, if you do miss the greens in here, you're basically getting thrown into a major championship style of test, thick rough, deep greenside bunkering, lightning fast, undulated green complexes. Uh, Mirfield Village is the third um, most difficult course to scramble on on the PJ Tour with an up and down rate of only 52%. Uh, so you will need to pepper GIRs um, if you're going to uh, hope to have success this week. If you're if you're relying continually on scrambling, um, you're going to be cooked pretty, pretty damn fast. So. Although I, I am waiting a bit of around the green stuff, it's not one of those courses that I feel like, um, you know, around the green metrics are completely useless. 
uh, but it needs to be complemented with uh, some strong iron play. And as far as uh, proximity ranges go, Mirfield Villas definitely tends to lean more on middle to long iron play. Um, all four par threes here measure over 180 yards. It's four par fives can all be reached in two, and seven of its 10 par fours measure over 455 yards. Uh, historically, over 52% of approach shots have come from 175 and beyond. So uh, special emphasis there on kind of the middle. Excuse me. Uh, to long iron proximity ranges. And then finally, on the greens, again, we are on pure bent grass for, I believe, the fourth straight week. Uh, Colonial, Oak Hill, yeah, Craig Ranch. So three straight, four straight weeks now, uh, we're on pure bent grass. Uh, Mayfield Village is renowned for having some of the purest green complexes on the PJ Tour. Uh, they do play really fast, and they do have some undulation on them. But if guys are able to match their intended line and speed, the green surfaces themselves are going to do a lot of the work for them. It's not a place like a Riviera or a Torrey Pines or an Augusta National or Quail Hollow. Um, this is not like a super, super difficult test on the greens, I don't think. Um, we have about a tour average. Um, it's about tour average in terms of difficulty from 5 to 15 and inside 5 feet. So it's not – I mean, unless you're betting uh, some of the guys that I like to bet, like Colin Morikawa, uh, typically if, if a guy's got 4 feet for par, it's not really a, as much of a knee knocker as it would be at, again – some of the other championship golf courses that we go to on a yearly basis. So, um, and then obviously given just the emphasis I have overall on TD green play, I'm, I've tended to weigh putting a bit less uh, this week, just because I think the elite ball strikers have proven uh, that they can separate themselves with their TD green play. Um, as I kind of noted earlier, uh, guys like Hideki, Duffner, Kyle Stanley, Ben on Adam Scott, Colin, they've all had a ton of success here while not maybe being the most consistent putters uh, from time to time. So my final rundown of the key stats uh, I've got a pretty big uh, emphasis on total driving this week. Uh, I think, like I said, with inaccurate drivers being punished as much as I think they will be, um, stats like good driver percentage, uh, being an all-around good total driver, the golf ball will be, I think, a, a huge, huge uh, advantage for people this week or for players this week. Uh, strokes gain approach, again, as always, special emphasis this week from 175+. plus. Uh, strokes gain around the green and sand saves. Par 5 scoring, there are four par 5s on the property uh, for the first time since Craig Ranch. And then bent grass. Actually, no, Craig Ranch is a par 71. So first time since Quail Hollow, which is also a par 71. Anyway, uh, first time in quite a while that we've had four par fives on the property. And then obviously some long-term bent grass punting splits. So that is the rundown of the golf course. We'll get into my kind of top 20 in the model real quick. Not a ton of surprises at the top. Well, I guess maybe a, a small surprise at the top. As number one in my model is actually Patrick Cantley. Uh, coming in number one, John Rom follows him at number two. Number three is Scotty Scheffler. I will note that all three of these are all three of these guys are really really close. Uh, it's really dependent on what you weigh the most heavily. Uh, obviously, Scotty dominates in a lot of the recent tee to green and ball strike metrics, uh, and then Cantley and Rom excel if, if you start to input some of the long term long iron splits or some of the course history, bent grass putting history. Stuff like that. So it kind of depends on which direction you want to lean uh, in terms of your total weights this week. Uh, but yeah, Cantley, Rom, Sheffler, not really a ton of bad things to say by any of those three guys. Xander Shoffley is my fourth ranked golfer of the week. Colin Morikawa comes in at number five. Victor Hovland at number six. Shane Lowry at seven. Tyrrell Hatton at eight. Uh, Sung J.M. at nine. His contemporary Siwoo Kim or his compatriot Siwoo Kim at 10. Justin Thomas at 11. Corey Connors at 12. Rory McIlroy at 13, finally. Uh, Gary Woodland at 14. Tom Kim, 15. Jason Day, 16. Hideki Matsuyama, 17. Ricky Fowler 
Russell Henley and Wyndham Clark round out the top 20. So, um, yeah, as you can tell, a lot of elite names slash pure ball strikers, which is exactly kind of what have I uh, outlined in the preview. So, yeah, unless Chris has any questions about Mirfield, we'll, we'll move on into the uh, the main event here, betting board. So I did read that, um, and I, if I missed this during your course breakdown, I apologize, but it was renovated in 2020, right? So we've got two years of, like, recent data. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, although I, I would say 2020 like plays more in line, even though that was pre-renovation, uh, the Memorial tournament that week, that year, uh, was particularly difficult because they're, they were actually doing a pretty similar thing to what is going on at colonial this past week where they were like, it was, they're getting ready for renovations. They really baked the golf course out and the greens played about as firm and fast as you'll ever see around here. So, uh, the winning score in 2020 was minus nine since then, both winning scores have been minus 13, uh, Horschel and Cantley. Uh, both got to minus 13. Obviously, Rom was at like minus 18 or something like that when he withdrew. Uh, but that was like a career kind of week for John Rom. Um, so yeah, they definitely made steps. They definitely took steps to make the course a lot more difficult in the kind of preceding years. It, it's winning scored range from 13 to 19 under. Uh, and we haven't got a winning score better than 13 under since then. So um, yeah, I think Jack, Jack noted that he again made a pretty contentious or conscientious effort to. Made the golf course more difficult, makes it more aligned uh, with quarter of a major championship side type test. And we've seen um, that come into fruition pretty quickly uh, since the Renault. All right. So with that being said, let's move over to the odds board. And let's start with the top three in your model. Top three in the odds board. Scotty Scheffler, seven to one. John Rome, seven and a half to one. Patrick Cantley, 11 to one. Yeah, obviously when we were talking about Scotty and the front run of form he's on, I was sitting here thinking, man, he should be clearing away the favorite. But then you brought Rom's covid uh uh disqualification and then obviously patrick Cantley's history i was just looking at that two wins two t2s or two t3s i think um so yeah like you said with your model not a lot to separate these guys but um you know if it came down to it with with you know if we were to go to the top of the board you know where, where do you lean um yeah like i said at the top i i don't have a lot to say negatively about really any of these guys um, I mean, if you're, if you're going to pick nits, I would say the same thing about Scheffler that I said about Hovland and the fact that he just finished second at the PGA, then came down the stretch, was in contention with Charles Schwab. Um, he played the Byron Nelson as well. He was kind of, he was kind of hovering around the mix there, uh, for most of the tournament at the Byron. So he's, he's played a lot of really meaningful golf over the last month or so. It's a, again, it's a pretty flimsy argument against him. Cause I mean, he is the best player in my opinion in the world right now. So if you if you want a single bullet, Scotty, I really have no issue with it. I think um, with the way he drives the ball and the way he hits his irons, like if he plays up to his baselines, he's he's going to be there um, on the weekend. Rom, maybe the most shaky recent form that we've seen on Rom. Obviously, he finished uh, he had a pretty disastrous round one of the PGA and it finished in thirty eighth there. Um, had a let's see, he also had one more kind of meh finish if i recall correctly oh no that was that was it <laughs> he finished second at mexico he finished 15th the heritage uh first the masters is his three starts previous to that so we know about rom's course history i'm going to talk a little bit later how, about how jack's course jack's courses in particular this one uh tend to suit a fade uh obviously scheffler rom canley hits can hit shape both ways but they all three predominantly hit a fade um so i think they'll they'll be all three more than comfortable here um and yeah i mean if you if you want to make the case against rom it's we haven't really seen the peak ball striking since his win at Augusta. Um, but yeah, again, pretty, pretty flimsy argument. And, and then Cantley, obviously 
the second best ball striker on the planet right now. This it, we've we've been kind of projecting Cantley for something big uh, for for some time now. We've lost our fair share of money on Cantley through the years, or at least through the first half of 2023. Uh, and this feels like probably one of the better spots that you're going to have, uh, given like Chris had his course history, two wins, T3 here last year, one of the best bent grass putters in the world, one of the best total drivers now in the world. Uh, the iron play has been right alongside the driving. I mean, he gained uh, over nine strokes ball strike at the PGA Championship. I don't um, – obviously never really gotten his way into the mix, but the underlying stats were exactly what we kind of projected him to have at the PGA, just really couldn't string – enough rounds together to catch guys like Brooks and Scheffler. Uh, but T9 at the PGA is still a very respectable performance, and now he comes to a venue that probably suits him as well as any anything on the PGA Tour. So I'm about as scared as I've ever been of kind of the top three guys, which plays into kind of the strategy that I employed uh, this week. You'll notice that if you've seen it on Twitter, uh, my card's pretty light um, compared to our typical like pre-tournament Tuesday afternoon allocation. Um, and that's for good reason. I, I'm – I don't see much of a possibility that at least one of these three guys is not in the mix deep on Sunday and they don't go into the final round as one of the favorites. Um, so if we could catch like if we can catch like a 12 to 1, 14 to 1 on one of these three guys as the week goes on, uh, that will be something that I'm very, very interested in. I've left that much room in the budget kind of for a reason. Um, so pre-tournament, I would actually I would probably lean Cantley. Uh, I just think there's maybe the least amount of question marks for him and we're getting the best number at 11 to 1. He was the closest I probably came to making a move. Uh, below 20 to one. So that would be my move. But again, I've seen people are spec single bullet, Cantley single bullet, or I'm sorry, single bullet, Scheffler, single bullet, Rom. Plenty of people are running Cantley, I'm sure. So uh, I've got nothing bad to say about any of these three guys. Yeah. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, well, all right, so here's a question for you then. So a lot of times when I put my NASCAR model together, I can normally tell like, how far apart the number one guy is or how far apart the top two guys are. Is there a pretty clear drop off from the top three in what you put together? Or is it kind of hard to tell from? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, if I had, to, if I did like create tiers, like tier one would be one through three. And then there's a tier of about five or six names from like four to nine. And then I think it drops off again, like at 10, 11. So um, yeah, for me, there's, yeah, for me, it's definitely like a separation between one, two, three. Um, and then like Xander, Colin, Victor, Lowry, Hatton, Sungjae are, are kind of all pretty similar as well. So, um, yeah, like I said, there's, it's not very often that I leave this much room pre-tournament for a potential live ad. Um, and kind of my, my magic number, if you will, is, is like 12 to one. That's kind of the, the number I'm looking to get. I know Cantley's 11 to one pre, um, but I would just rather kind of maybe see how things play out. Uh, cause I, like I said, there are some unknowns with, with Scheffler. Like I, you know, fatigue is is unquantifiable in the game of golf. But like, if there was ever, I think, an argument to be made for fatigue, I think that's uh, that could happen this week for Scotty, uh, given just how much how much he's been in contention in some really difficult conditions. Uh, and then Rom as well. Like, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Rom get off to another kind of poor start. If if there has been one problem, I think with Rom's game, like one overarching problem, it's been uh, like with the driver. Surprisingly, like he's he's done a lot of double cross and a lot of kind of pull smothers left um and like i said if you if you're not dialed in off the tee like you're gonna get in some trouble around here so um they're they're certainly the three favorites for a reason but they're not bulletproof i don't think by any means so um yeah you're looking for drift there but yeah if if i had to project forward like the three names that i'll be looking at in the live market uh we've already we've already 
covered all three of them. So. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll just close up shop. I'm just kidding. Um, all right. So the next three on the odds board in the 14 to 16 range is Xander Shoffley, Roy McElroy, and Victor Hovland. Um, yeah, I think Xander was probably the highest. Yeah, uh, for you of this group, but um, yeah, it's kind of interesting seeing. Obviously, Rory at sixteen, um, but Victor, we we know the the run of form he's had, and, and Xander as well. So, yeah, what do you what do you got on these three guys? Yeah, so Xander and Rory, I think, have very similar profiles to me, um, and I think they're both like fourteen, sixteen to one. Uh, so I expected them to be pretty similar on the odds board and um, didn't really expect Roy to be the fifth favorite, but um, no surprise that I think, I think him and Xander have pretty similar profiles. I think they're both of them really excel in a lot of really key metrics. They're all, they're both really, really top tier uh, long iron players. Uh, Xander in particular phenomenal on bent grass over the course of his career, both have very reliable short games. There's a lot to like about the profiles, but they have the same kind of glaring flaw in that both of them have been very unreliable off the tee, uh, at least compared to their normal baselines. Uh, so far in 2023, Rory ranks outside the top 100 in both good drive percentage and fairway percentage, and Xander ranks, out, ranks outside the top 80 in good drive percentage, which is obviously one of my key metrics this week. Um, we saw it at Quail Hollow just two weeks ago, when we, or a few weeks ago when we had Xander. He was kind of fighting that two-way miss on Sunday that kind of caused Wyndham Clark to or that enabled Wyndham Clark to maybe get some separation there on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Rory at the PGA Championship, his driving struggles were very, um, very well reported. So just two guys that I think are struggling in, a, in an area of the game that I think will be really important this week, and that's kind of what separates them for me when we're talking against um, kind of the Cantleys, the Roms, and the Shefflers, because I I trust all three of those guys wholeheartedly when they step up to a 480-yard par four uh, and need to hit the fairway, uh, whereas I feel like Xander and Rory have a bit more spray potential uh, with the driver right now. And I just don't think that's something you can get away with uh, at this golf course. So um, obviously it's um, they have the upside like Xander and Rory long-term are very, very good total drivers of the ball, but I kind of have to operate on what I've seen recently, um, particularly when they're priced just a few points behind the top tier. Um, and for me, Xander and Rory just fall short in that particular category. Um, and then Victor, like I said, I think statistically he's, he's just set up very, very well for this golf course. Actually, the Workday Charity Open that I mentioned where Colin beat uh, JT in the playoff in 2020, Victor was third in that tournament. So he he doesn't have success at Memorial um, in the same way that you know, some of the top guys do, uh, but he does have that third-place finish around Mirfield Village at another, at another event um, that did notably, notably play a little bit easier compared to some of the more recent Memorials. But certainly, I mean, Victor is one of the best total drivers of the golf ball we have on tour. Um, the putter has been phenomenal. Uh, the long iron or long iron play over a long-term sample phenomenal as well. So um, if Victor's in, like if Victor brings his top game, like he is very, very long to contend here. Um, but like I said, he's 16 to one. I would just rather, if I was going to make like complete my card pre-tournaments, like in Victor 16 versus Cantley 11 was available. Like there's only really one direction I'm, I'm going to go there. So uh, I have seen, I have seen some like 25s and, and maybe like a 28 uh, pop up on Hovland. I think that's that's a that's a solid number because I think it makes in a lot of the risks that you're taking. I think with maybe some fatigue factors and some of the inconsistencies with the irons we've seen him recently. Um, but there's no doubt that Victor at his, at his peak can continue that here. So um, not not cross them off by any means, but just not really enough conviction or value in the number for me to make a move pre tournament. All right. So here's a drop off in the numbers as we only have two guys in the 20s here. 
Um, Colin at 20 and Sam Burns at 28. And this is where our first uh, Ian's eyes just got. <laughs> Sam Burns is 28 to one. He is 28 to one. Wow. That's uh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> this is where our first bet lies though. So I'm assuming yeah. based on that reaction, the, the listeners, yeah, the listeners <laughs> got a very hint into who it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Look, Burns was second from Tita Green last week at the Charles Schwab, but he gained 6.1 around the greens. Uh, I do not believe Sam Burns uh, has a short game to gain 6.1 shots around the greens. And Mirfoot Village, notably, uh, long drive of the golf ball, not particularly accurate off the tee, uh, and a pretty subpar long iron player. So I'm frankly stunned that Sam Burns is the seventh or eighth best player on the odds board right now. Uh, I would take a lot of guys from the 30s over Sam Burns. Uh, at 20 to 1. So if you want my matchup to help, that would be it. Burns uh, would be a fade for me. Yeah, um, I'm scrolling to find Sam Burns matchup right now. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Chris mentioned my first click uh, of the week. My biggest current unit allocation of the week, Colin Morikawa. I got him at 30 to 1. I would I would I would be comfortable betting him up to 25 to 1. I think 22, 25 to 1. Um, it's still is still a perfectly fair price on Colin. Now before I get into my Patented Morikawa spiel. I just want to share a pretty ridiculous stat that I found from his 29th place finish last week at Colonial. Uh, for the week, now, Colin gained uh, over five shots of ball striking and shot exactly level par through 72 holes. Uh, now, that's, I mean, T29, decent result, not bad by any means, but certainly not what we were hoping for given the history he had around the Colonial. He had, I think it was 18-1 to pre-tournament to, to win. So certainly disappointing in that regard. However... Those numbers are vastly skewed by one hole that continually gave Colin fits. The ninth hole at Colonial Country Club over four days, Colin played at a mind-numbing plus seven for the week. He made a triple, a double, and two bogeys, and he lost three and a half shots on approach on that one hole alone. So I know you can't discount an entire hole, but I do think it's worth mentioning that Colin played the other 68 holes at Colonial at seven under par, uh, which would have been one off the playoff. And he gained nearly eight shots on approach outside of his perils on nine. So I think we're going, we're, he's getting a bit underrated based on how he played, how he kind of blew up on one particular golf hole time and time again. Now, maybe that speaks against Colin that he just couldn't get that hole right. Um, but nine is a pretty tricky hole to Colonial, especially in the conditions they're playing. If you miss the fairway there, you've got a really tough approach over water uh, to a firm green. Um, and so. I mean, I'm not going to say he's not going to face um, similarly difficult holes at Mirfield Village, but the fairway at least will be – the fairways here are a lot more forgiving, and I feel like he got in a lot of trouble just by missing the fairway um, on that hole. So I, I just think it's a bit fluky. I think people are maybe writing off calling a bit too soon, particularly when we're getting prices of 25, 30 to 1 around a golf course that he is tailor-made for. We talked about Cantley and Rom's uh, history um, around Mirfield Village, and that speaks for itself, but – Colin in, in four starts has, has won in 2020 at the Workday Charity Open. Obviously, a playoff loss as well uh, to Cantley since uh, in 21 or sorry in 2021. Uh, he's still one of the most accurate drivers of the golf ball on the planet. He's ninth in favorite percentage, first in good drive percentage uh, in this field, and he's the only player on tour besides Scotty Scheffler to gain over a stroke per round on approach. Uh, he's actually at one point. Actually, he's actually at 1.075 to Scotty's 1.071. So. Over the last like few months, Scotty's been lapping the field. But if you go like the 2023 season as a whole, Colin's actually the number one approach player um, in on the PJ Tour. Uh, now, Jack's courses, like I mentioned earlier, always seem to suit a left to right ball flight. And Colin has 
taken advantage of that at um, when he's been to a Jack Nicklaus course. He's won at three three of these designs. Excuse me, already on the PGA Tour. He won, like I mentioned earlier, at the 2020 Workday Charity Open here at Mirafield Village. He won at the 2021 WGC at the Concession Golf Club in Florida. He also won at the 2019 Barracuda Championship at Old Greenwood, another necklace course that was his first PGA Tour win. Uh, so that would be, what, three of his five PGA Tour wins? I should know this. Barracuda, uh, PGA, Workday, WGC, um, and then the Open Championship. So I think he only has five PGA Tour wins, and three of them have come on Nicholas Golf Courses. Um He's also had two of his best putting performances ever here at Mirfield Village. Now, it has been very feast or famine for Colin, which it typically is, uh, but he has had two of his best putting performances of his entire career here. I just think with his ball striking acumen, his fairway, um, his driving accuracy, his iron play, just the course setup, the course history, the comfort he has here. If there's ever a place he can get out out of this kind of mini slump, um, it's right here in Ohio. So, more Cal, I was stunned to see books posting him at 30 to 1 here. Um, I jumped on that on Bookmaker. Uh, I know you can get 25s, 28s um, at some other shops. So um, if you guys need a plug for that, I am your man. But uh, but yeah, I will be in uh, on Colin at 31. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning too. I always look at you know the the course fit tool on, on Data Golf. I always bring that up. Um, and other than like the the weird names that always stand out, like He's, I would say, of the non-weird names, he yeah. is one, two, three, four, five. He's six in the course fit tool. So, uh, and the really the only guy that's towards the top of the board. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, was, I always think that's interesting to look at. I don't know why. I just yeah. I think it's kind of intriguing. Yeah. I mean, it, make, it makes sense. I mean, what did I what did I talk about for 15 minutes in the course preview? Hit fairways, hit greens. Like that's that's Colin's game. So, if he brings his game, there's no reason he can't contend here. And we're getting a really, really juicy number. Um, you know, double the price of Hovland, which is just, I think, insane. You're not wrong. Yeah. All right, so let's look at the 30s now. A lot of guys in the 30s, and I know you said you had a lot of interest in the 30s. Oh, yeah. by the way, Sam Burns is matched up with Corey Connor. So they matched him up with a guy that's 40 to 1, and they have minus 110 versus minus 120 there. I would still lean Connors. Really? Okay. I was interested to see what you'd say there. Um, all right, so the 30 to 1 guys, Sung J.M., Terrell Hatton, Cameron Young, Hideki Matsuyama, uh, Jordan Spieth, and Ricky Fowler. Okay, we're, so we're at, yeah, just just the 30. So the 30, 30 and 35, basically, to one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm just going to run through these, these guys real quick. Uh, I don't have a ton to say on everybody here. Uh, Jason Day, it'd be a great story. He is obviously um, a – I don't know if he's a member here at, um, at Memorial or at Mirfield Village, but he is a Dublin resident. Like, he lives, like, very close to the golf course. He plays his tournament every year. Uh, not a great course history based on how much he's played it. He's only gained on approach once here in, I think, eight or nine career starts. Um, so, although, you know, obviously the the story a couple weeks ago at Byron was was awesome. Um, I'd love to see him play well. But I think 30-1, to 1, I, we kind of go through the same thing with Jason Day at these big events. I, I just don't really see him having – the ball striking acumen to keep up with some of these top guns. So um, I think like a top 25 finish would be very respectable for Jason Day this week. Not really in my short list to, of guys that can win. Uh, Sungjae, frankly, looks absolutely beat. Uh, he notably went back home to Korea to play a Korean tour event uh, before the PGA Championship. So he has flown, he has went from Korea to Rochester to um fort worth and now back to dublin ohio in the space of four weeks uh with no days off or with no weeks off 
And uh, it, its performances have really tanked uh, since he got back from Korea. He just absolutely ejected out of the PGA Championship and then uh, another really poor performance uh, at, at Fort Worth or at Colonial as well. So, not, I mean, I think if you look more long-term at some of like at Sung Jae's just general profile, I think he does suit this course really well, but there's been absolutely no life in the recent form to indicate that he's prepared to win this tournament this week. Um, yeah, Sung Jae, maybe <laughs> he needs somebody to maybe adjust his schedule for next year because um, he's this is not the first time that he's kind of burnt himself out just overplaying, and then all of a sudden he just gets to to May and he's, uh, you know, all of a sudden a below average PJ Tour player. Uh, Justin Thomas, 30 to 1. This is always, I think, an enticing number for JT, even though the stats, yeah, the stats don't really like give a whole lot of, I'm not gonna say hope, but like they don't really, they don't really, uh, he doesn't really pop in a lot of, you know, my main stat categories. Um, below average, good, good drive percentage, below average actually in long iron proximity, which is quite weird for JT. Uh, but we've talked about this a couple times before where JT's long iron play is kind of, um, has definitely fallen off from his kind of long-term baselines. Um, one thing he does have going for him, he's one of the best, he has one of the best short games on tour. Uh, he, like I said, he did came run, he did come runner up to Colin Moore Cow in 2020. He's got another couple of top tens at this golf course in the past as well. Um, I think this is a pretty good place to take a shot on JT. If you just believe in the talent and um, like you're, I've seen 35 to ones. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's implausible. We see a 40 to one on Justin Thomas before this tournament even like starts, which is, I just think based on like my general opinion of him and his ability. Um, I mean, he was a major championship winner just over a year ago. So um, I'm not really going to argue with anybody that, that wants to, to go there at like 30, 35 to one. I would much rather have JT's upside than a guy like a Sung Jay or a Jason Day or Sam Burns or um, even like a Spieth. I, I would rather have JT than all those guys. So um, I think if you're just looking at like the stats and you're just looking at the data, it doesn't really tell you, uh, give you a lot of, you know, a ton of promise, but you don't have to go back very far uh, to, you know, to see that JT is capable of winning anywhere on tour when he brings his A game. So we're getting, we're getting into the point to where, if you just want to blindly click Justin Thomas above 30 to one at almost every single tournament, um, again, wouldn't really argue too hard against you there. Um, let's move on to Cameron Young at 35 to one. Uh, this is again, another number that you can get a lot better at some other spots. Uh, one of my other kind of more prominent offshores has a 50 to one hanging on Cameron Young, uh, which I gave a very, very long look to. Uh, this is a guy that was actually in contention in this golf tournament last year. Now, I think he finished. Uh, let me look this up real quick. Uh, I don't know the exact place that he finished at, but he didn't finish well. He finished 60th last year. Now, that obviously not a good result, but you keep in mind that Cameron Young shot a 84 in, in round four. He shot, what's that, 12 over par in his final round. And I remember this. I, he On nine, I think he hit like – four balls in the water on the ninth hole and he made he made like he made an eight so he missed it like two balls in the water on the ninth hole and lost like five shots in approach so a lot of the course history from cam young is really misleading i think from a macro perspective cam young's profile really suits this place total uh, one of the best total drivers of the golf ball particularly with how long he hits it he hits it pretty damn straight and he's a really good long iron player and has a pretty underrated short game now the putter is what it is but we've seen bad putters play quite well here in the past and like i said he played um i mean before his Final round 84, he was, I think, right there within three or four shots to lead heading into Sunday. So he's got the game to contend here. He, you know, hasn't shown a ton since the Masters, which is why his numbers kind of been depressed. 
Um, but the upside's there. I still believe Cam Young's like one of the best prospects in world golf. So to see a 50 on him here is, is pretty jarring. Um, but again, not just not enough conviction to make a move now. Uh, but he will be a name that I, I think could win this golf tournament. Um, if, if he shows the right signs early. So he'll be named also, I will certainly be monitoring uh, in the live markets along with Hideki Matsuyama. Hideki, uh, unlike Cam Young, has actually shown some recent form. Um, it's actually pretty exciting to see Hideki's iron split over the past uh, two tournaments. Gained 5.1 at the Byron Nelson, gained 4.1 uh, at the PGA Championship. He gained 10.4 shots from TD Green at the PGA, uh, which was right between Roy McElroy and let me see here. Yeah, he was right between Rory McIlroy and Bryson DeChambeau from TD Green. So two guys that finished inside the top 10. Uh, Hideki hit the ball just as well as them. He just, you know, faltered with the putter a little bit. But Hideki, a past champion here at Memorial. He's showing some iron. He's shown some, some recent life. And it's going a bit maybe underreported uh, just because he hasn't really gotten the, the big, um, like, juicy headline finish yet. Uh, but the underlying stats do, see, do seem to show that uh, Hideki's rounding into form. Uh, so I think 35, 40 to 1. Um, solid number, solid number. Um, Spieth, not a ton of interest in Ricky is just overpriced to me. Um, if you want to bet Ricky top 10 or top 20, uh, go right ahead. But, um, if he's going to win at 35 to one in this field, I'm going to go ahead and miss that. So that basically just leaves the only guy that I have bet in this range, uh, which is Tyrrell Hatton. Um, I think this might be one of the first, actually the first time we bet Tyrrell since, uh, he came just short of Bay Hill. Uh, when I was there in March. Uh, but man, Terrell has put together some really, really solid form uh, since kind of that disappointment in Orlando. Um, he's far from the flashiest player on tour. You know, Terrell Hatton, not exactly like blessed with the physical traits or abilities of like your Rory's, your Scheffler's, um, your Rom's, etc. cetera. Um, but he has quietly been one of the more consistent players on the planet. In 2023, he's registered six top 15s and 10 starts. He's gained strokes ball striking in every event since last year's FedEx Cup playoffs and has taken a massive step forward, massive step forward with the driver. He rates fourth in this field in total driving and third in this field in good driver percentage. Now, if you followed Tyrrell Hatton's career to this point, the driver's always felt like kind of the flimsiest part of his game. So seeing this type of step forward is a really promising sign. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Cantley Light. Like Cantley was always a decent driver of the wall, but never like elite. Cantley's taken that step forward and has the results have followed. Um, and Hatton's very much in the same mold. Like he doesn't really have a ton of weaknesses and now he has a really immense strength. that feels like with the driver. Um, and the rest of his game is extreme, has always kind of been extremely solid over the last 50 rounds. Uh, he rates 11th in strokes game approach 22nd GIR percentage. He's inside the top 40 in all four of my key short game metrics, which is scrambling strokes game around the greens, sand saves and boogie avoidance. And although he's a better putter on Bermuda, um, Hatton still had plenty of success on bent grass in his career. He's gained over a stroke per tournament since 2020 on this service. So we're kind of running out a niche to pick with, with, uh, with Hatton's game and considering, you know, I mean, this is more anecdotal, but considering he was a few years uh, too late to shake the King's hand after his win at Bay Hill in 2020, um, I'm sure he'll revel in the opportunity to shake, uh, to shake uh, Jack Nicholas's hand um, off 18 here at Mirfield. So, um, funnily enough, Hatton's also come second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth already in 2023. So, um, you know, if you're a believer in, uh, some patterns heading into the sixth month of the year, um, he's clearly showing the kind of form that can maybe allow him to complete that set, um, complete the six pack, if you will get that win. As, as Chris Worm would turn over his grave, he's due. He's due. Yeah. <laughs> Strokes can do hundred percent weight in my model. <laughs> 
was coming off the strokes gain emotion that we had a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> strokes gain, yeah. Strokes gain grit. Strokes gain won it. <laughs> All right. So uh, also, thank you for bringing up uh, Jason Day and Justin Thomas because I somehow skipped them when I was reading out those guys in thirty to one range. So, um, but yeah, the, the Justin Thomas thirty is is absolutely insane to me. I can't believe it's like the it's almost like the Ryan Blaney argument from last week, right? A lot of people had Ryan Blaney at twenty five to one last week. And that's called well, just just cuts, right? Because it's like he's a talent who shouldn't be this far down the board. You know what? I'll do you one better. He's I can give you 30, 36.5 to one at a noted <laughs> offshore. So the the thirty to one is not a high water is the high water mark of anything. I don't think I've seen him at twenty to one on any site or in the twenties at all. So yeah, if you believe that's a bridge too far, I I don't blame you one bit. And honestly, Chris, honestly. I, I I list off a lot of guys that I liked in that range. The reason they're not on my card, the reason I didn't bet Hideki, the reason I didn't maybe take a shot on Cam Young at 50, the reason I didn't bet Justin Thomas 35 is because I'm so scared of the top three. Yeah. If you made me complete this card pre-tournament, like I, I, I see the arguments. I see why Hideki is so popular. I see why Cam Young is worth maybe a shot. I see why JT um, is worth that bullet. So I'm, I'm in alignment with – Maybe a lot of the sentiment around uh, the industry that that maybe has some of these guys on the card, but like I said, I just saw so many check marks at the top three that I just I took a step back, tried and tried to just pick my kind of favorite two or three from this range, uh, and maybe save some some bullets for when uh, when balls are in the air. Not completely understood. All right, so let's move on to the 40s and 50s, and then I think we got a pretty clear drop-off on the odds board as well. So I'll read off all these names. You obviously do not have to talk about all of them, but there is a bet in the range. Um, so Adam Scott, Corey Connors, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Heath Agala, and Shane Lowry are in the 40-to-1 range. And then we got Russell Henley, Siwoo, Tom Kim, and Wyndham Clark in the 50-to-1 range. Um, if I'm going to bring up one other guy from this course fit tool – um, Russell Henley and Top Kim, Tom Kim are actually the two like non weird names in the yep. top of the model here. So, uh, yeah, interesting to hear what, you, hear what you have to say about any guys in this forty to fifty range. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Kim and Henley both inside the top twenty in my model. Uh, they both check a lot of boxes in terms of long iron play, in terms of driving accuracy, uh, some you know, better better stats and par five scoring stats. I like them a little bit too. Excuse me. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. They their profiles fit exactly kind of what I outlined. I mean, if you like Colin Morikawa and you like the guy I'm about to talk to in a little talk about in a little bit, like you're also going to like Tom Kim. You're also going to like Russell Henley, Corey Connors, Siwoo Kim. Very similar type of games. A lot of them are kind of rounding into some form as well. So I think they're more top twenty plays, top forty plays than like outright bets. Um, I think when you kind of cross this threshold in an elevated event like the 40, 50 to one threshold, you've got to be um, you got to have that inherent belief that they can actually close the deal. Uh, which is why I've went for probably the most accomplished name in this range. Um, I, I'm, I hope I'm not disrespecting anybody in this range, but uh, yeah, definitely among the more accomplished names in, in Shane Lowry. I, I got a 55 to one on FanDuel on Monday morning. I think that that number is pretty widely available as well. Like 50, 55 to one seems to be kind of the consensus number around Lowry this week. Uh, for longtime listeners of the podcast, I've always had a soft spot for for the Irishman and seeing how seeing as how he's coming up with his best ball striking performance he's had since the 2022 Honda Classic. So that's over 14 months. Um, he's 55 to one at a golf course that I think suits him really well. So we are in at that number. Uh, he gained 3.7 strokes off the tee and 5.5 shots on approach around a really difficult Oak Hill. 
at the PGA Championship. And Mirfield Village shoots everything Shane Lowry does well. He's always been a super underrated total driver of the golf ball. Uh, he's eighth on tour this season of total driving. He's seventh in good drive percentage. Uh, he's elite long iron play over a 12-month sample. Um, last 75 rounds, he ranks just behind Woodland, Rom, Morikawa, Hovland, and Rory in that time from 175 plus. So he is in that top tier in terms of long iron play. Uh, and, you know, like Hatton, I trust a short game. Um, and maybe even more than his Ryder Cup teammate, I trust Lowry's ability to close out big events against elite fields, right? This is a guy that's won at Firestone at the WDC, uh, which is right down the road uh, in Ohio, similar agronomy, another long, difficult golf course. Um, you know, a major championship, obviously, in his home country of Ireland. He, he won his last one, came at Wentworth last September in a field um, that included Rory McElroy, Victor Hovland, John Rahm, a lot of the top Europe, European talents were all there, and Lowry came up on top of them. Um, so he's already reached again, some of the biggest peaks the sport has to offer. I think a win at Mirfield, uh, would complement kind of the, the assortment of big game trophies he has in his, his cabinet right now. So really like what I'm seeing from Lowry. I was kind of concerned when he, uh, he popped at the PGA cause I, I kind of had this place circled for Lowry. Um, but was very happy to get a 55 to one, uh, early in the week and, and obviously endorse anything really above 40, um, on him. I, I'm, I'm very high on his chances this week. Um, but yeah, that does it for my outright card. Like I said, I think a lot of these names in the range uh, are better top 20 bets. Um, I would, in particular, I would endorse Connors, Siwoo, and Tom Kim would probably be my favorite three if you're looking for like prop markets, uh, plays DFS, plays some guys to top matchups, stuff like that. Uh, I just like their overall just profile for this place. Um, I will say if, there, if I were to bet one more guy outright, it would actually be be Matt Fitzpatrick. Um, now it's mainly a numbers play because I've seen Fitzpatrick. We we just kind of we just uh, listened at forty to one. I've seen forty fives and fifties in some spots as well um, for kind of good reason. In, in in a similar vein to like a JT, he's really um, he's really cooled off uh, over the. I, I guess more in a similar vein to Sungjae, right? Sungjae had a really hot stretch there in the spring and has had like two or three bad starts in a row. Fitzpatrick very much the same way. Uh, where he obviously came T10 and uh, he came T10 in the Masters and then followed up with a win at the Heritage. Uh, since then, 35th at the, at the Wells Fargo in the missed cut at the PGA Championship. He's also notably really struggled with his driver this year, which I never really would have thought I'd say about Fitzpatrick, in particular driving accuracy. It feels like he's, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of always been in that chase for distance. Uh, kind of coming on tour as one of the shortest hitters on tour. He's now inside the top 50 in driving distance on the PGA tour, but he's outside the top hundred in uh, both fairway percentage and good drive percentage, uh, which is concerning. Obviously to go at a golf course like this, where I feel like you're going to have to hit the ball and play. Uh, notably though, he has come third here in the past and last year, I know he missed the cut last year, but he actually uh, was on pace to lead the field from T to green uh, through two rounds. He lost 8.7 shots putting on these uh, on these greens in two rounds uh, and missed the cut. But he was actually on a per-round basis the TD Green leader last year. So I think he, he clearly likes this golf course. I just not – I'm not really seeing enough in the recent um, developments in this game. Um, if he just shown even a hint of momentum post-Heritage, this would be a number I'd be very interested in. But, uh, yeah, as it stands, even a 45 I think is maybe a bridge too far in Fitzpatrick. I kind of want to take more of a wait-and-see approach um, before he goes to uh, defend his U.S. Open title. So – yeah, it, that's pretty much all I've got to say about this range. Um, Sahith at like 40 to 1. I know he came top five last year. I just think he 
he sprays the ball so much off the tee. I just don't – I mean, he he would just have to play so far above his baselines with the driver uh, to have a lot of success here. But I don't know. I've been surprised by Heath in the past. I'm not really a Heath guy in terms of, like, a betting angle. I like the kid personally. But I uh, don't tend to be betting him too much, so that won't change this week We're, with a golf course that's so penal. Um, let's see here. Who else? Adam Scott. I've seen get some, some press, which – I kind of understand. We've seen him pop a little bit at the Byron Ellis and seen him pop a little bit at the PGA Championship. I, I don't think Adam Scott's going to win this golf tournament. So um, I think he's got a decent baseline maybe to make the cut as a DraftKings player or something like that. But in terms of like upside at 40, 50, 60 to 1 to win, um, I would rather go obviously to Cameron Young or uh, even like Fitzpatrick or a JT than that. So, uh, yeah. I, what, do you think, what do you think about like a top 20, top 40 play on like a Justin Suh? Or Sue, so I still don't know what the answer is on that. It is, it is Justin Suh. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Justin Suh is like so much of his his recent gains have come via the putter. He's over like kind of both a short and a long term sample. He's a middling to below average ball striker on the PGA Tour. Um, He's not particularly accurate off the tee. He's not a particularly good iron player. His short game is pretty middling. So whenever I feel like he's been – I know he's he's shown some life on the weekend at the last two events at the PGA and the Charles Schwab, uh, but he's mainly done that in the back of 3.3 and 3.4 strokes gained on the greens. Um, you know, no strokes gained total from tee to green over 2.5 in that stretch either. So, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of lukewarm on uh, – obviously I have no interest in the win market. If he continues the run and finishes top 20, top 40, then – good for him but I'm, I'm much more interested i know these guys are farther up the board so you're gonna get maybe some some worse prices but uh the guys i mentioned that are just more reliable ball strikers i think are, are is kind of the the profile i'm looking for this week i would almost i would almost rather like take a chance on if you're going like way down the board um like a Seamus power or like a hayden buckley i think are two names that w- i would circle maybe um in like the triple digit range is guys that i think are really reliable ball strikers uh, from TD Green, who are not going to get themselves in much trouble, um, create enough birdie chances to kind of stay afloat. Um, but yeah, obviously their ceiling's capped by just their their overall profiles. But yeah, if I if I were to kind of point to uh, two guys in the triple digits that I actually uh, think have some upside to finish inside the top twenty or top forty, um, yeah, Power and, and Buckley would probably be the two guys I would I would go to. Also Ryan Fox, I think Ryan Fox is one hundred to one. He's shown some signs of the ball striking. I think he's a, he's a guy that. That tends to play difficult golf courses pretty well, uh, too. Just coming off a top 30 at the PGA Championship, he's obviously long been one of the better ball strikers on the, on the European Tour. Uh, finally got that that full exemption now on the PGA. So I think I think Fox can be a guy that can make some noise and maybe a top 40, top 20 capacity. Um, but uh, in terms of outrights, yeah, unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to maybe save the 100 to 1 long shots for, for maybe next week at, at, the, at the Canadian. I think there's... A bit too much, uh, too many horses at the top of this, this top of this odds board to be messing around too far down. Yeah, that's kind of a figure. That's why I said top twenty or top forty play on sub. But I seen some steam on him on Twitter, so I was just kind of curious. Interesting. I think was there. I guess was there. Like, he had a good week at Colonial, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, decent. I mean, he finished sixteenth. Um, like he's he's putting together some like he he's just super inconsistent with the ball striking. He had like a three week stretch in Florida. And then another couple of weeks stretch here. So I don't know. I just don't really have a great feel on his game. I would rather go to a guy that I, it's just more of a no commodity. Um, 
I feel like Suh's range of outcomes is just a bit too wide for me to really trust in like a prop capacity. Um, maybe it's like a DFS play. Like if you want to swing for maybe the fences, if you believe in the long-term upside, um, I would almost rather go for like a bigger payout with Suh than like trust him to cash like a minus 110, if that makes sense. I also saw a uh, an Ian special out here wow. of Taylor Montgomery to miss the cut at plus 220. <laughs> Are you serious? Plus 220? Yeah. It's a short field. So it, it is a 120-man field, and I think top 65 and ties make the cut. So we're talking uh, about – I didn't think about that, yeah. We're talking about over half the field makes the cut, but that is fucking tempting because, like, of all the things that I've talked about for the last hour plus, like – Montgomery is just the ultimate fade candidate. The dude is – he sprays the ball like crazy off the tee. He is an abysmal long iron player. I don't think actually there's a worse course fit. Just trying to think off the top of my head on the PGA Tour than what Mirfield Village is for Taylor Montgomery. Um, yeah, I think plus 220 is actually a pretty damn good price. I might actually nibble on that to be honest with you, Chris. I, I did not think he would be, uh, you know, impl- what's that implied, like less than 33%. That's like – 30% implied odds um, to miss the cut, which I I think uh, – put it this way, I would not take the other side of that uh, and <laughs> paying the, the deuce for him to make the cut. So, um, yeah, that's actually that's actually a really good find. I think Montgomery, like I said, he does nothing except for putt um, that I, you know, would prefer to see here. So, from a ball striking category, like he's getting outgained by guys that are 500 to 1 in this field. So, um yeah, if, if there is like, if there's such thing as a fade at 250 to one, like he is my fade at 250 to one. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, I, I don't mind that. I'm, I'm going to see how much I can get down on the, the Montgomery uh, plus 220. All right. So I think that is going to do it for the Memorial Tournament. Um, so just to kind of recap, we are going with Kamar Kawa at 31 for three and three quarter units, Terrell Hatton at 33 to one for three and a half units and Shane Lowry at 55 to one for two units. That's nine and a quarter to win 112. Um, and obviously still plenty in the budget for a live ad. So, um, as always a good week to have the live tweet notifications on false national network as well. I usually get those in pretty shortly after Ian tweets them. So, uh, plenty of ways to kind of catch that that action. But with that being said, we will catch you guys next week. Yeah. Thanks, bud.